in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my temporary co-host, Paige Wilson. How are you doing, Paige? Pretty good. Aren't we both temporary yeah, hosts right now? Yeah, we're both temporary hosts. And we're both temporary hosts in San Francisco because we're at the IBM Think Conference today right, and tomorrow. Right, right. And, and Russell couldn't make it, so. So we decided to do Russell a favor and step in. And You're it's welcome, a, Russell. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and we're not actually just talking to ourselves, are we? No, no, we're not. And I'm not interviewing you. You're not interviewing me. We're actually here with uh, Scott Kimmelton, Associate Partner, Chemicals and Petroleum in Industrial Industries for IBM. I need a lunch break after that title. Throw <laughs> some acronyms at you later. Oh, yes. Yeah, Those but, are my favorite. But seriously, Scott, you and I have known each other for a long time. You're a fan of several of the shows. You're the reason IBM partnered with us, so thank you for that. But I want to talk about something that y'all have done, that you have this case study, which I just find incredible. And if you're in HSE and oil and gas, you're in operations, toward in the show, we'll give you a link to go download this thing. You need to read this. So I want to start with this. Case study y'all did. Uh, this is public information from, from a real incident from where? IOGP. IOGP. And so y'all took a real incident and y'all y'all were able to help determine root cause extremely quickly and accurately. But I want to kind of back up from there. This type of stuff, these type of reports are all over the place. They tend to be uh, filed away in file caps, their paper. It's really hard for companies to leverage all that historical data, but they can do it, can't they? Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned paper and, and I think a lot of folks go straight to, well, I got all this paper. How do I deal with this paper? And, and we find it's actually more useful and more effective to start with the digital, you know, information that's a little more recent because what you're really trying to do is make sure that your AI models understand the data, can extract the meaningful information, and then going back and converting those uh, paper documents into digital are actually fairly easy using some some other technologies that we have. Yeah, that's really cool. So in order to build that data lake you're going to need to mine to actually drive HSE results, you now have the tools where you can do it fairly quickly and fairly accurately without somebody key punching this for, for hundreds of years. Yeah, absolutely. The, what we found, and I just came from a different session with, with uh, some of our researchers, right? The ability for humans to generate information is actually cr- causing a bottleneck because we can't process all that information as humans, right? So we have to find a way to allow systems to help us, but also do that mostly automatically, right? And then we step in for, and fill in the gaps. Yeah, so I want to come back to this case study. So let's kind of talk through this, and then we're going to go back to the technology and the business results. But this case study I find fascinating. So this is a real, real incident, mm-hmm. right? And then what did y'all do with this real incident? So typically when you're trying to understand trends or patterns in health and safety, or if you have a team that's going to be going and doing some work, maybe they're working on a a particular type of compressor or something, and then they're not familiar with it, you want to make sure that you understand what experiences other people have. You know, what did they not do that we should probably think about? It takes forever to to read through these, let alone even find the right incidents that would be useful. Uh, We are able to take that each incident and extract all of the, the causes, controls, equipment, activities, uh, but do that at scale and bring all that information back 
essentially instantaneously. Yeah, so in this case, it's basically a machine fell over and came to rest on the edge of the secondary pipe rate and just barely missing the pedestal. It's, uh, it actually fell about eight meters, and the appropriate fall arrest system, integrity of the basket, kept people from getting hurt, but it was still you had a machine topple over and almost catch the, uh, the, the pipe rack. So you have a bunch of data here. You, have, you could easily read through this, but when you read through this, the humans cannot recognize the patterns. They recognize the words. They understand what the sentences are, but there's patterns that are there that humans can't recognize. But y'all were able to come in here, and, and what did y'all were able to do? So what we're able to do is actually find all of the key concepts that an expert would be looking for, whether it's what was the cause or the controls that were put in place or what was the activity that was happening and expose that automatically and instantaneously for the user. Yeah. So instead of teams of people pouring through this, trying to figure out what actually happened to actually get to the root cause. And, and if you've been in an industry for any length of time, you know what usually happens they try to quickly get to root cause, but it's typically not root cause. It's typically Joe didn't have his gloves on. Or in this case, it could have been somebody didn't put the chalks under the wheels. And they go, oh, well, well, it's that guy's fault. No, it could have been that guy was tired. could have been he worked a long shift. It could have been he wasn't trained properly on the chalks. It could be a leadership thing. It could be that for a very long time, nobody uh, fussed him for not putting the chalks under the wheels. And so that sort of stuff, humans can't really get out. But the machines can, can't they? Yeah, I think you really hit on it there is when you think about what was the cause, there, there's some normal buckets that we use. If you think about, was it a procedural issue? Was it a human factor? Maybe they didn't have the proper work direction because it's not this person did do the thing. It's they weren't told how to do it correctly. And that's really the root cause. And I think by uh, taking the knowledge of our experts that says, here are the categories of things that I should look for, and here are examples of those. You train the system on examples, and then it can find all the other instances of you know, uh, inappropriate work direction or, or lack of. Yeah, and so let me tell you from a cultural point of view in our industry in oil and gas, the hs guys are kind of stuck. And especially if you have a, a bad incident, you bring a third party out there, here's what really goes on. If you're internal and there's an incident, and let's say it is a leadership problem, that means you need to go to your superiors and say it's your fault. Do you think that happens? Honestly, people, it rarely happens. No. Yeah. Now, here's the bigger thing. Imagine if they hire you and you're a third party to do an incident investigation. Guess who writes you that check? It's them. Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell them that it's your fault? Right? It's, and, 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 and please, people, no hate mail. It happens. I've seen it all the time. What's cool about this is the machine doesn't care. The machine is going to get to root cause so you can make those changes so you can make sure that your safety metrics go up every year. It doesn't and, have opinions and it doesn't have a bias. Yeah, and I just I think that part of it is enormous from the business point of view. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. The, 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 the elimination of bias. That's really what, what the heart of it is. Whether it's uh, trying to understand why an incident happened or in another situation where you might be you know, making a decision on a piece of uh, land that you want to invest in. Right. Everybody has an opinion and they're going to go find the data that supports their opinion. Yep. Right. Yep. That's right. what it all comes down to. It's called confirmation bias. And there's a whole bunch of even somebody like me who's been trained to do research cannot help but introduce bias into that data. So then you have to mm. you have to validate that data. And let me tell you, that's a long, laborious, expensive process to get that right. Whereas right now with IBM, it's just done. Yeah. Right. All right. So we've talked about this, this real incident that we're going to give you a link to download. And I'm telling you, people, you need to read through this. Now I want to back up and go back to the IBM side of the story. So you engage with with Woodside, and how did how did that process start? Why did Woodside decide to engage with IBM? Uh, so the CEO Peter Coleman first decided that you know he had a he had a problem 
in his organization retaining knowledge just as a general general challenge, right? Started with major capital projects, right? When you do, you know, a five, ten billion dollar project, the person that led that, they they as he said, they get their gold watch and they're gone, right? And, and that's great for them, but from an organizational perspective, they got some, some big gaps. And he looked around the market and saw that IBM was, was a leader in this space and said, hey, I'm ready to start my journey and I want to partner together. And then we worked together to find the right places to, to apply it, which was major capital projects and health and safety. Yeah, I love the, the word partner because that's really what, and I know IBM, that's really what y'all try to be. You, you don't want to be a vendor. You want to be a partner to the companies you work with. So IBM brings the technology and the subject matter expertise, heavy hitters to the table. Woodside has an issue, right? And so, so what happened next? Once he decided to explore the CapEx expenditures and the HS&E metrics, what did IBM do next? So what we did was we brought a team of technical experts and we sat shoulder to shoulder with the Woodside team. Everybody was co-located and the uh, Russell Potapinski was the head of a cognitive science and he said that, you know, you couldn't tell the IBMers from the Woodside folks, just sitting shoulder to shoulder working together. You know, they understood the problems. We understood the technologies. And together, uh, we worked through what was it an expert needed to find and how did they find it? And then together, we were able to train the system to to find those those nuggets. So in effect, IBM had to actually learn a decent amount of Woodside's business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We have, you know, folks who actually come from the industry, you know, that we, we, we bring in, but nobody knows a client's business like they do. Yeah. I want, do want to stop there. So if you're like me and you're an old fuddy duddy and you think of IBM as a, as a box builder, they don't do that anymore. You'd be surprised that IBM has geoscientists, geophysicists, uh, petroleum engineers working for them. I actually a, interviewed John Matson on my show just recently. That's right. So, yeah. 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 And you talk about subject matter expertise, you know, mm-hmm. poor John has a flu, so he's not here, but it's really cool that IBM invests in people like that because the people that make the difference. That knowledge, that have my hands on the drill bit knowledge, you know, that's what sets y'all apart. That's right. The, it's not just about a technology. It's knowing how to apply the technology to the business problem as quickly as possible. And it's, they, they really do that, uh, that translation, so to speak. Yeah, and I love how you focus on the business. It's not the technology solution. It's a business solution that just happens to be most of the time a tech solution, right? All right, so you engage with Woodside, uh, your team gets to know their business, and then I bet their team gets to learn some of the stuff you do, some of the heavy hitting and artificial intelligence, machine learning, cognitive, that sort of stuff. You know, it, it's really interesting how a lot of companies are exploring AI and, and advanced analytics. And again, we love to partner with them, but they need to build their own internal capability as well, right? So a lot of times there's a, an, an enormous amount of knowledge transfer and collaboration on these solutions. It's not tell me what you want, I walk away and build it and come back. You know, you're literally, like I said, working together hand in hand. Yeah. And so this project, is, is this project still ongoing with Woodside? We have a number of different projects with them. We're still working on the on the HSC one too. Absolutely. Yeah. So did the HS and E did the HS and E project lead to other projects because they saw the difference you could make in their business? Absolutely. The, well, I, it's really interesting. They were, I, I think, really kind of on the forefront of how to approach this. Again, you know, he under, Peter understood it was a journey. He was ready to start his journey, and what they did was they set up what we would now call a garage, it, it, in a sense. The idea is that you have a core team that understands how to frame a business problem and how to quickly evaluate the technology as applied to that problem. And they've gone through and done probably a dozen or two dozen projects 
where, you know, even in, you know, a month or two weeks or even a week, they can evaluate a use case, decide if they want to move forward on it. And if they do, you know, they, they spin up a couple extra folks and they go off and they do it. And I think that approach has really served them well in terms of uh, focusing on the business problem. Can I get the value? If I can, great, let's move on. If not, okay, great. It's an idea, but it didn't work. I love that idea. What is that methodology in application development? Is it called agile where they do sprints? So, so what happens is the whole team comes up with the idea, they work their butts off and they stop and they evaluate what they do and they disregard stuff that isn't core to what they're doing and they do it again. That's sort of like what you're describing, huh? Well, I'm, I'm very impressed with your, with your uh, DevOps knowledge, but yes, it, it is called agile. And I think it's really about you, you have to be okay with projects that don't work. I, I don't know that I would call it failure. People talk about failing fast. I would call it learning fast. Yeah. That's really what it's about. And we've, they and other clients have had these garages where not everything works. And if you expect everything to work, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, Absolutely. no kidding. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, so I like that you know, it's not failure. So what you're really doing is setting priorities. As you go through this process, you'll discover other business problems that you can solve, but maybe you don't want to solve that this week or this quarter or this year. But now you can put a hierarchy together of what's the biggest impact problem that you can solve to the business and work your way down so you're not wasting your internal resources. Absolutely. And it's amazing how many derivative uses of a solution you'll find. It, I can't share a lot of the you know internal details, but a, a number of the solutions have actually gone on to have second, third, fourth generations, which are similar capability, but solve whole new business problems, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so Scott, you've, you've been doing this for a little while. This project with Woodside, was there some big learning events uh, working with them? You know, I think one of the things that, that we and they learned was that there there will be challenges, right? There will be things that, that don't go right. There will be times when, you know, the communication may not be exactly what you wanted it to be, but because everybody has a partnership mindset, it's just like in any relationship, right? If you want it to work, you have to be willing to talk about the things that you think, ah, oh, wow, that didn't work. Let's not do that again, right? And I think that was really, there's always the technical learnings, right? The technical part is obviously there, but I think it's really the expectation that you're going to work together and you're both in it for a joint positive outcome. Yeah, it, I do find it funny that even though we're in this fast tech evolving world, which I love, by the way, absolutely love, that it still runs down, boils down to people doing business with people, no matter what. It's one of the things I love about the oil and gas industry. Yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. All right. So when you think about that, that journey that y'all did with Woodside um, and y'all had learning experiences, is that journey of learning with partners? So the, basically when you engage with the, what you'd call a client, is that journey actually starting to be compressed where y'all can get stuff done quicker than y'all could have done a few years ago? Cause y'all have learned. Absolutely. You know, if you're not learning, you're, you're definitely going to be extinct. And I think what was, what, what's been really interesting and, and from this, and I would say the garage approach is probably one of the most useful learnings, which is a lot of times what folks do is when they want to test something out, they say, let's go scope a project, right? Well, we all know what that means. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's a gigantic program. What you need is to set some boundaries on, it can't take longer than this. I can't spend more than this. And what that does is it's not that you're saying you don't want to spend money or that you don't want to put time in, but by putting those constraints on it, you force the teams to focus on the thing that is truly differentiating that you've never done before. So if you want to build a new application and you already know how to build a front end and you already know how to implement security and all those other things, why are you spending time and money building that? 
you should focus on the AI or the, the analytics or whatever it is that's new and different and do that in three to five weeks. If that works, then go on to the pilot. But again, only add and do the things that you aren't sure that you know how to do or you're not sure that they're going to work. To me, those constraints actually force you to be so much more focused. That's yeah. been fantastic. Yeah, so HSE, you know, we're we're the, the industry as a whole has always been a big data industry, oil and gas. HSE also a, collects a lot of data. So if a company is out there and they're looking to improve their HSE metrics, what would be if you, and, and I know every case is completely different, but what would be like the normal path that IBM would follow working with somebody new? I think the 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 most important thing is what outcome are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to gain insights around a particular area so that you can improve your safety programs, which is a more systematic approach? Are you trying to improve the awareness of your teams doing work on a day-to-day basis, which has a more of a kind of an operational focus? So I think the, the, the first thing is, what is your objective? Once we understand the objective uh, jointly, it's what information do I need to help people make the decisions that they're going to make? And that really helps us zero in and then I think the, the next step would be what assets, accelerators, and solutions already exist today? Because, you know, as we've talked about at other times, there are, we already have capability right, in this area. I can drop data in today and start showing you insights from your health and safety data, your unstructured data. And so I think that's really short and sweet, the, the process that we go through. All right, so we're getting close to winding down the show. Scott, it's time for the Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Do you have a safety tip for our audience? You know, being from Florida, you know, it's generally pretty warm there. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it snows about once a decade, but I was traveling to the Midwest and uh, I picked up my rental car. It was, you know, middle of the day and, you know, went to the client. Uh, next morning I got up and the windshield was covered with ice. So what do you do? You get your, your scraper out, you scrape it off. Well, again, I live in Florida, so it doesn't <laughs> occur to me that I should check see an ice scraper. So, of course, I had to get out my driver's license yep. and scrape my windshield. <laughs> and that's a really good tip. If you're if you're north of the Mason-Dixon line in the U.S. or anywhere in the world and there's a chance of ice, make sure you have an ice scraper. Something very simple. $2 drink can make a huge difference. All right, so, Scott, I want to roll back into um, working with Woodside. Y'all started off CapEx Projects, HS&E Project. That spun off to other things. But I'm guessing that IBM actually learned. And so by learning from Woodside, if other companies out there wanted to think about engaging with IBM around whatever, HSN metrics, uh, HSN results, whatever. It's what you learn from your other clients actually then benefits your future clients. You know, the industry, while everybody has uh, nuances in their business, which are, which are very real, uh, there's definitely kind of a core set of knowledge and learning that, that comes in with, with every project. And I think that's what, uh, that's what we're able to bring to folks. So, so Scott, Artificial intelligence, right? Buzzword in the oil and gas industry. The vendors have been using it way too much. I've interacted with Watson. It's real, right? Y'all been doing it for a long time. Y'all are a world leader in this. When you apply things like uh, artificial intelligence to things like HSE metrics, the results have to have to be good. I mean, just just the the ability to keep one person from slipping or one person from you know pulling a shoulder or even worse. That must make you feel good. At the end of the day, that you've helped a company help make sure that their people go home as good, if not better, than when they came to work that day. That's really the best thing about uh, about the job, right? Is is getting to work for a company and work with clients to build solutions that really do change the world, right? In many different industries, and I I'm, I'm 
particularly excited when I get to work in the health and safety space because it makes such such an impactful difference. And and you know, you know, the most dangerous time for folks is on their way to work or their way home in the car, right? But we want to make sure that uh, everybody goes home. That, I mean, I love that, right? So you're out there, you have a business to run, right? We all respect that. But your heart's in the right place. IBM wants to make sure that people go home. I mean, it's, it's incredible. All right, so let's roll over to the usual uh, stuff. We have all the oil and gas events. Uh, if you haven't joined us at our Houston Happy Hour, come join us last Tuesday of every month. If you want to, Paige, do you know now that people don't have to type in oilandgasglobalnetwork.com? Do you know how awesome it is to not <laughs> type that out? So we finally got our hands on OGGN.com. So you just go to the website, go check on the page that says events, and you see all of our events. We have several happy hours happening uh, in the next couple of months. It will be a reoccurring. We're in Dallas, Midland, uh, the Bay Area. We have one action going up here. Tulsa, Oklahoma, Denver, Colorado, probably five or six Pennsylvania, more. Pennsylvania. Oh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So if you're not in the Houston area, we're bringing the, the monthly happy hour to you. If you want to uh, maybe participate in that, I am looking for sponsors for those happy hours. It's a good way to get your company and their information in front of a bunch of oil and gas people all over the U.S. for now. Pretty soon we'll go international. Give us a year or so. It's really cheap. I think it's 500 bucks a pop. If yep. you want to sponsor one of those, uh, reach out to Julie. Put a link in the show notes if she can help you with that. And then if you're interested in all the events that we go to as press and more, where we bring the podcast, sign up for our monthly oil and gas events newsletter. It's free. Uh, we stick all oil and gas events in your inbox once a month, and we don't spam you. Which is very important. Which is very important. And then speaking of spamming, LinkedIn. Go join our LinkedIn group. Microsoft's done a really good job. They're cleaning LinkedIn up. Um, our LinkedIn group, I think, is it over 2,000 now, Paige? I have, I, so I don't do that anymore. I don't moderate anymore. <laughs> I let Julie do that. So I, I th- I'm, I'm sure we're w- well past that. Yeah, that's the uh, companion to this show and all the others. And, and Paige, I can't even remember how many, we've launched so many new shows. So we have Oil and Gas this week. Oil and we ga- have Oil and Gas this week. We have Oil and Gas, HS and E, which you're listening to, Oil and Gas Industry Leaders, my show, uh, Oil and Gas Startups with Jake, Jake and Colin. And Colin. Then oil and gas onshore with Justin Goche, and then oil and gas legal risk with Sarah Stunner. Yeah, and we got what six more working. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't ask me this yeah. once we launch so those, please. <laughs> coming to an oil and gas niche near you. We were actually <laughs> doing this, and then uh, Scott. So much, so great to have you here on the show. We're gonna put a link to this study that y'all actually. It's actually not a study. It's actually a practical example. But if people wanted to learn more about IBM and how you work with oil and gas. I know you don't know the URL off your top of your head. We'll put a link in the show notes, but y'all have a dedicated oil and gas practice, although y'all call it something else other than oil and gas. Yes, we do. Actually. <laughs> it's natural yeah, yeah, resources. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is fine. So we'll put a link in the show notes so it's not confusing. And then, Scott, if people want to reach out to you personally, you're on LinkedIn, so I guess LinkedIn is probably the best way. Yep. Yep, so we'll put a link to Scott's LinkedIn profile on there. Scott, I know you're busy at the Think Conference. Thank you for coming and sitting here for a few minutes talking to Paige and I. Uh, like I said, uh, we, we love IBM, not just because you're the sponsor of one of our shows, because of the difference you're making in our industry. So thanks for joining us. It was absolutely my pleasure. All right, Paige, you ready to get out of here? I'm very ready. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond.
What's the craziest thing you've seen in the field? I was in India touring a tile factory. And the first thing you do when you make clay tiles is you put the clay into this, you know. Calvin? It's a hopper. Is that a hopper? Yeah. Okay. So I was in India and touring a tile factory. And the first thing you do making clay tiles is to throw the clay into the hopper. And I thought it was really interesting that the safety grate that went over the hopper was actually open and the people were standing on the grate, throwing it into the hopper. And what's in the hopper is what people need to know. These gigantic teeth. I'll never forget these long white arms, like a foot long each. And each, each, you know, tooth was like three inches long. It sounds like a horror movie. I, I was literally imagining what would happen if I tripped and fell into that. I was quite concerned. Yeah, that is crazy. Folks, if, when you see something like that, even if you're a different country, it's up to you to say, you know what? Stop the job. Yep. I'm not going to stand here while you're doing yep. something safe. So, man, scary stuff. Good job.